0: You can call or text us at 875-KTGR to get your thoughts in on Chiefs, Mizzou, and the like. We'll talk some uh, Mizzou KU at 505-875-5847 with Andy and producer Chris here, 875-KTGR. Let's talk some uh, some Mizzou football and hoops now with Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com. You can find him on Twitter at PowerMizzou.com and subscribe to PowerMizzou to read all their great stuff. Gabe, how are you today?
1: Not bad. What's going on,
0: guys? Yeah, not too much. Uh, there's certainly plenty to talk about in the Mizzou sphere, uh, with it being the, the time of year that it is. And is. Let's start with the football side. I mean, the, the news today, first of all, and I think almost... Expected news with how we had seen some of these awards come through the last few days or so. But the SEC naming Eli Drinkwitz the coach of the year as voted on by his peers. And so, uh, it sure seemed like the, the likely choice there, uh, coming down the stretch of the season. And it's, it's pretty incredible how, how quickly it's, it's turned just this one season with how Eli Drinkwitz has put it together.
1: Yeah, I thought uh, you know winning the SEC title. I thought there was a chance Nick Saban would win it. Um, I, I think he did a, a, a good job this year. Um, he's a little bit hamstrung in things like this because he has good players, and people act like that's not a part of coaching. You know, is is getting good players. I would have voted for Eli, just to be clear. Um, if I had a vote, I think what he did this year was was impressive, certainly and deserving of the award. I thought Saban might have a chance, but um, yeah, they, they went with Drinkwitz.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, just to, to see that and all those uh, other players getting the words that, that they have been getting and all culminating with a, uh, a matchup with Ohio State in, in the Cotton Bowl. I just wonder, you know, when you, when you first saw that news earlier this week with, with Mizzou getting that type of matchup uh, and, and all the possibilities that it could have been, uh, how well do you think it worked out for Mizzou to get to play this type of opponent in that game?
1: Best-case scenario, I think. Yeah. Um, and, like, personally, just selfishly, I, the Peach Bowl or the Fiesta Bowl would have been cool because Missouri hasn't been to those, at least, you know, in, in my lifetime. And, they, and I've covered a couple couple Cotton Bowls. But Dallas is great for Missouri. Um, they sold that thing out in 24 hours. You know, I don't know that they'd have done that with either of the other games. Um Ohio State is a big-name, marquee opponent going in, you know, you wanted Ohio State, Oregon, maybe Penn State. Those are the, the ones that, that give you some juice and, and give you some bounce. No offense to Liberty. Nobody in the, in the New Year Six wants to play Liberty. You know, that, that's not – it doesn't have that big-time bowl game feel. This does, um, even though, you know, from the other side, if we're being honest, it doesn't. But I think that's good for Missouri, too, because in two years – really in two weeks, Nobody's going to care who played and didn't play on the other side. They're just going to be able to say if they go out and get it done that they beat Ohio State and finish number six or seven in the country. So uh, I think it uh, really couldn't have worked out any better.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Gabe Yarmer to PowerMazoo dot com with us here on the Big Show KTGR and and G R dot com. And yeah, you, you talk about you know the the other side of this from Ohio State with several of their players uh, uh, entering the transfer portal this week, including their starting quarterback Kyle McCord. But I mean, again, you, you think about the Ohio State side and how uh, they obviously wanted something higher the college football playoff was the expectation for them with where they were ranked beforehand but they still even when they lose some of those guys they're they're replacing it with so much talent so i wonder like with this matchup and and look we don't know absolutely who all is playing in this but even if there are uh, transfer portal and opt-outs uh on the ohio state side still probably uh, is going to be a tough team to deal with no matter what uh, coming up in a few weeks
1: Oh, yeah. In the last four years, they have uh, signed 12 five stars and 62 four stars. Nobody's feeling bad for Ryan Day that he doesn't have any talent left on campus, but it is, you know, a more unproven talent. I mean, the probable starter at quarterback is Devin Brown, who threw 22 passes this year. Now, he's a, a highly thought of kid. You know, uh, again, maybe, uh, who knows, he might end up being the next great Ohio State quarterback. Uh, we just obviously haven't seen him as much. You know, I would. Be surprised if Emeka, uh, Egbuka, and Marvin Harrison Jr. play this game. Uh, Kate Stover, you never know. JTT on the defensive line. Like, there are a lot of guys that that might opt to just go get ready for the draft, but those guys were at one time backing up other four and five stars, right? Um, So... I'm sure there are plenty of good players on Ohio State.
0: (laughs) That is uh, for sure. Gabe B. Armand of com with us here on the big show, KTGR. And, and, you know, the the matchup was kind of set up by the fact that, you know, Georgia and Florida State missed out on the college football playoffs, so they get tied into the Orange Bowl and that frees Ohio State up for another one. But I I just uh, wonder your thoughts, you know, just generally on – the playoff committee selecting the four that they did. Uh, We've, we've heard all kinds of uh, opinions all this week. I just wonder how you sort of fall on that spectrum with them leaving Florida state out and favoring Texas and Alabama in that sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think Texas and Alabama are better teams. So in that regard, I don't necessarily disagree with the four that are in there. I'm really looking forward to those games. Uh, The reasoning is a little bit faulty. I think, I, I mean, Florida State, you know, there's two problems with this, really. They have five power conferences and designed a four-team playoff. I mean, the surprise isn't that this happened this year. It's that it's never happened really before. They've gotten bailed out every single year, and they finally in the last year didn't get bailed out. The second issue is they do these shows all along, and they're pointless. I mean, they clearly went into the last two weeks going, hey, we got eight teams that could get in this playoff. And when we get to the last weekend, after all these games are played, we're just going to reverse engineer it so the four teams that we think should be in there are in there. I, I mean, Georgia falls from one to six by losing a three-point game to a, a team that lost one game. Uh, you know, they they are ranked somehow below Florida State, even though you've said Florida State isn't good enough to be in. But Georgia last week was the number one team in the country, and now they're worse than Florida State. So their problem is they do this thing to get ratings and conversation, and all it does is end up making them look stupid in the end. Because, you know, it just – the last ranking is the only one that matters, and that's why I was saying on Sunday morning, look, Missouri's in unless the committee just wakes up and says – Yeah, we changed our mind. Uh, We're going to put these other two teams ahead of them. You know, which, look, if you look at it as a possibility, the other thing is if they were smart, all they would do is say, here's the four teams in the playoff. That's it. You don't need to rank five through 25. It doesn't matter. They don't put much thought into it. They don't really care about who's five through 25. All they're doing is identifying the top four teams.
0: Yeah. Uh, essentially, it's, uh, that'll be their job. And uh, we'll we'll see uh, what next year uh, means uh, for for the 12-team playoff. I I wonder, you know, because this year was the hardest job the committee had to do, and you're right, uh, th- it worked itself out a little bit better in the years beforehand with the 14-team playoffs so that they didn't have to make those tough decisions. But I wonder, like, if you... What's the, what do you think the chaos scenario would look like in a 12-team? Do you think that'd be easier to deal with when you expand it out to 12 teams as opposed to what they had to do this year?
1: Yeah, there's no real chaos because then you're talking about the team that gets left out lost two or three times, you know? Yeah. And so I don't really feel bad. It's, it's like the team that was the last team out of the NCAA tournament. We probably lost 10 games. Just just don't lose 10 times, and and you would have gotten in. So I I don't think anybody's really going to argue too much. The one issue, I think, is going to be the guaranteed spot for the fifth conference champion. I I mean, like if this is next year, Oklahoma is number 12 in these rankings, and they're not in because Liberty is in. Now, look, you know the rules going in, and that's part of it, but are we trying to get the best teams or not? Are are we just trying to – give somebody a spot that, frankly, usually doesn't earn it. Now, if you're in the top, if you're a group of five team and you're in the top 12 like Cincinnati was a couple of years ago, great. Put them in. Give them their shot. But I, I don't love the idea of, hey, you know, you're in a conference that, frankly, isn't as good. I mean, if you look at Liberty's schedule, it's awful. Yeah. They shouldn't be in this thing. They, they be, Their best wins are New Mexico State. Um, you know, SMU deserved it over them. Uh, frankly, Tulane would have deserved it over them, in my opinion. At least those teams played somebody. Um, so I don't love that. But, look, that's that's the way that they got a playoff push through by saying, no, really, you guys have a chance. I mean, they don't have a chance. But, you know, we'll let you in to, to get beat.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Gabe arm at com with us here on the big show, KTGR and KTGR.com. Let's switch to hoops. Uh, Mizzou uh, men's basketball now coming up against uh, their their toughest uh, non conference uh, test yet uh, going to Kansas uh, for for the border war showdown. Uh, I just wonder what you 've seen recently from this team they 've obviously had fewer games to deal with per week uh, now in this uh, back half of the uh, uh, or back half of the non conference schedule. I wonder recently what you 've seen from this team that's uh, uh, that seems to be improving or and whether that 's uh, enough to maybe think that they have a chance uh, coming up against Kansas. This year.
1: Yeah, I think they're figuring out their roles, right? Sean East is is the leading scorer. He's the guy. Um Caleb Grill has settled in, has found his shot a little bit. He's kind of that dirty work guy. Uh Connor is finding a role, Tamar Bates, Ant Robinson, all these guys are, are kinda of figuring out uh what Dennis Gates wants them to do and and they've looked a lot better obviously in the last couple weeks. I mean they're 7-2, and two, and I think if you would looked at the schedule before the season, 7-2 and two wouldn't necessarily have been a shock. You could have seen 7-2. and two. You just didn't expect them to get there by winning at Minnesota and Pitt and then losing to Jackson State. Um, so the way they got there is a little weird. Uh, does it give them a chance in Allen Fieldhouse? Um, history would say not really. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been to a lot of games there. It's a very tough place to play for a lot of reasons, the biggest of which I think is – that no matter what Bill Self and what Kansas fans say, they get up for that game. Missouri is not going to go in and get the same effort Kansas showed against Kansas City last night or against Eastern Illinois last week. They're going to get fired up, ready to play, you know, close to a game Kansas. And when Kansas does that, they're tough to beat (laughs)
0: Yeah, uh, certainly so, especially, uh, th- this year's team with how they've been, uh, going through the non-conference schedule, uh, just the, for what we're seeing now, uh, for, uh, the remainder of the non conference, from Mizzou, not just this game, but, you know, Seton Hall coming up at the neutral site soon. And then, uh, obviously bragging rights after that and conference play not too long after. I just wonder what you probably need to see from this team to, to show that they, uh, they, they might have to do a little bit more work in their conference, uh, schedule in the back half to, uh, to, to to keep building their resume, I just wonder what you think you you need to see for them to show that they're ready to to kind of make that run.
1: I mean, you got to beat Seton Hall. Um, that's a de facto home game, and Seton Hall's okay, not great. Um, and then, look, losing to Kansas and Illinois would not like submarine everything like you don't they'd be nine and four going into the conference season and and that doesn't knock them out of anything i mean if they go out and go 10 and 8 in the sec you know they'd still have a good shot with the strength of schedule and all that if they win a game in the conference tournament they get to 20 and and that 20 i think gives you a shot with this schedule um but i think if you can find a way to steal one of those two games i think that really kind of energizes people you're 10 and 3 Going into the league, you got two power five road wins. You'd have a a couple of power five non conference wins or neutral site wins, you know, and then you'd have the SEC in front of you, which is they've got some good teams. But if you look around this league, there's been a lot of bad losses in this league. So you know, you maybe can go get some. Um, so I, I, I think if you're ten and three, you feel like okay. The, the, the tournament is a realistic goal. It's in sight. If you go in, if you lose Kansas and Illinois, you got a little bit more work to do.
0: Gabby Armand of com here on the big show, KTGR. Uh, real quick, uh, with this uh, letter that was floated out from uh, Charlie Baker, the head of the NCAA, I know it's a plan that is not even close to being firmed up and not even close to being a reality just yet, but what did you think of the the idea being floated out by the president of the NCAA of creating a subdivision of schools that would have the, uh, the ability to pay their players directly like a minimum amount and, and, and compete and, and govern themselves essentially with those rules on their own?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many tentacles to it, right? The first is this is a clear first step.